Welcome to this week in the ACC. This is Matthew. You can follow me on Twitter at, at HokieSmash underscore ASC. This is the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. This is the longest running podcast in the United States, and we have a special return guest with us tonight. Uh, first, let me say that the usual co host is here. Jeffrey Fan is here, and you can follow him on Twitter at, at Talking ACC Sports. The uh, site Twitter account for all sports discussion is at all sports DACC and our website is at all discussion.com. And as I said, we have a special guest here this week, John, John Kerry, John attended Florida state for undergraduate, although he transferred to the university of Akron as a sophomore before returning to law school at Florida state university. And he currently works as an attorney in Melbourne, Florida. And it, I, I've been there several times. It's a great city. There's great seafood there, and it's a very laid-back city, and I had a very good time on my trip there, and I hope to travel back there soon. So John's been a, pod- a podcast guest here on several ca- occasions. He's been a great supporter of the site. He's been involved in panels, answering questions for us. He's been part of tw- Twitter panels where we get a tweet, we get an answer for him on an ACC topic. He's just been a great supporter of our site, and so we're very happy to have him come back. John, I ran back that background here pretty well. Is there anything else that you want to talk about here before before we get it going? Because tonight you're going to preview Florida State football for us like you have several times before for the season 2021. So we really look forward to it. So is there anything else that you want to anything else that you want to talk about, man? No, I think you did a good job. Let's just get started. All right. Let's get right to it. 2021 Florida State football. What are some of the major strengths that are coming back this year for Florida State University, John? Well, that strengths coming back, you kind of had to have strengths, right? I mean, it's been yeah. a pretty uh, <laughs> dreary few years for Florida State. And, um, you know, and I'm not saying this to, to call you guys out or anything, but just to a demonstration of the state of the program other than quarterback and maybe uh, a couple of high profile defensive linemen can you even name any returning players from Florida State uh, no yeah exactly <laughs> so <laughs> you know John so say that because like you know I'm not sure if you you haven't been on Twitter for a while, so you probably don't know that we, Jeff and I, did this, right? That And you've, you know, and by the way, I think everybody should take a social media break. Sometimes that's really good for this, for, for the soul and that sort of thing. And, you know, we, we did the uh, all ACC teams for uh, Matt Zemeck this year for Lindy, Lindy Sports Vegas. And he asked us to do the first, second, and third teams. Uh, along with the uh, along with some honorable mentions and some players, and I, I'm not even sure if we could. Jeff, you can probably correct my memory here, but I'm not even sure if we had anybody from Florida State on any of those teams. I, I don't. I don't think we had a single uh, Florida State player on any of the top three ACC teams. And you know, as we were going through it, we were we were kind of shy. Like, is there anything? you know, we can really, really put uh, about Florida State, which is it's kind of, you know, shocking to say, you know, but we did put uh, Mackenzie Milton down as, as one of the top transfers coming in, like you said, John, but 
Uh, yeah, this, this, this is a Florida State team, and, and really interested in your thoughts. But I mean, they look pretty devoid of of, of high end talent. And I'm sorry, yeah, and 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 that's that's the point I was making. I don't know what you, what you would how you would answer strengths coming back when there aren't really any strengths that that you would really even identify from last year's team. I don't think. Um, what I would say is. Um, the offensive line has been steadily improving over the past few years. For the longest time, Florida State's offensive line was just absolutely decimated, talentless, um, and, and really the source of uh, much of the offense's troubles uh, for the past several years. And slowly but surely, uh, they've been building that back up. And now the offensive line is at least – I think average now, which is a big step up from where it's been over the past few years. So if I were to look at one position group that I would say is a major strength coming back and improving, it would be uh, the offensive line, which I think has been a bright spot over the past year or two. Very good, very good. That's, uh, that's, that's a very good assessment. Go ahead, Jeff, you're up. All right, John, let's go to the flip side. Um, what are, what are the, some of the major weaknesses at Florida State going into the season? You know, in other words, what do you think the um, Seminoles would be working on before the first game? What are the questions that you that you think have to be resolved? And and based on unfortunately on your first answer, we, we might want to look at like maybe the top two or three issues they're going to be working on. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, on the defensive side, um, you know, Florida State always seems to have a few defense, uh, decent defensive linemen. And, um, you know, obviously we uh, lost a couple from last year, but that'll still be an area where um, I think we'll be at least decent. Uh, linebacker's been a problem for several years running now. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys can even name the last – uh, really high-end linebacker that Florida State's had. Uh, you probably have to go back to, you know, 2015, 2014 uh, time frame in order to do that, which has uh, been another area of extreme weakness for the program. Um, in all of the down, the downtime we've had over the past few years, the uh, defensive backs have actually been pretty decent. Uh, sent a couple to the NFL, and uh, you know that's been one area of consistent, I think, strength. You know, despite the way I answered the last question. Um, and on the offensive side of the ball, there, we had basically no wide receiver production last year. It was Tamar and Terry, and that was about it. And, and you know, even he wasn't any great shakes, but uh, you know, he was about the best we had. And um, we actually do have a few uh, potential bright spots on that side of the ball, just based on the spring game and some transfers uh, that we'll talk about a little bit later, I think. All right. Um, all right, John, who are some of the new recruits that have impressed you the most? And, you know, are there any recruits or transfers, and we're obviously going to talk about one, I'd say, that you think will get some uh, major playing time right away? Yeah, and, and obviously the one that jumps out isn't a re traditional recruit. Uh, the transfer portal has been kind. Uh, you know, the, Mike Norvell's really worked the transfer portal and has brought in some uh, guys that could immediately be uh, key players, uh, including Mackenzie Milton, who was the outstanding quarterback from UCF that led them to their undefeated season um, and had that gruesome, horrific injury a couple of years ago against USF that you might recall. 
and there was a question whether he'd ever be able to play again. Um, he spent the last year rehabbing, transferred to Florida State, and looked really good in the spring game. And it's been a little while since we've had a quarterback that you would look at and say, you know, that guy's a winner. That's the kind of guy that can lead you to some big wins. And we may finally have that this year in Mackenzie Milton. So that's obviously going to be a huge addition. No guarantee he'll start necessarily. Jordan Travis has, uh, has been pretty solid, started last year, uh, and will be in the mix again this year. But I don't think they brought Mackenzie Milton in uh, to sit on the bench in his senior year. And then um, there's a couple of young guys. I told you about the dearth of talent that we had at wide receiver. Um, there's a couple of uh, wide receivers that were brought in. Um, one of them was a freshman last year, didn't get much playing time. Um, but uh, Josh Burrell and Kevin Knowles, or excuse me, Bryant Robinson, excuse me, um, are, are guys that look like, based on the spring game, that they could be pretty dynamic in the receiver category. And then we also had the uh, big transfer from Kansas. You know, you can laugh if you want, but Andrew Parchment's a really good wide receiver. And if you watched any Kansas football over the past year, he was probably, uh, you know, the best skill player they had and uh, decided to come down to Tallahassee. And so uh, that could be a really fun uh, combination with uh, Mackenzie Milton throwing to Andrew Parchment, both of which are high-profile transfers that FSU's brought in. All right. Um, John, do you think Florida State will be better than last year, and, and why or why not? And then after you answer that, we'll play what we call win game, lose game. Will we go through the Florida State schedule and get your quick one or two um, ascended answers on whether that game will be a win or a loss? Yeah, and I do think the team will be better this year. Um, Mike Norvell, I think, has the team on the right track. Uh, last year, he came into a terrible situation. Uh, the team was just absolutely decimated as far as talent goes. And also, um, you know, there really wasn't a sense of cohesion, discipline, uh, you know, locker room camaraderie or anything like that. And it seems like things are uh, are picking up in that regard. And so I do expect uh, the team to be better. Whether that'll tra translate into a better win-loss record um, is tough to say because they do have a pretty tough schedule this year. Um, but I think the team is improving, and um, you know it's probably been a little while since I've really been able to say that. Uh, but I do think the team's on the right track at this point. All right, let's get into this uh, schedule and and see how you know how you think the season might turn out. It starts off. Uh, right out of the gate with a, a Notre Dame team coming to Doak Campbell, a uh, primetime uh, national TV game uh, on Sunday, September 5th. Uh, this Notre Dame team, you know, they've got – they should still be very good. They've recruited well, but, you know, they're going to be without uh, Ian Book. Uh, they've lost a lot on their offense. Um, how do you feel about this game? It's a tough game to open up with, right? <laughs> I mean, Notre Dame's obviously put together a really outstanding program over the past few years. Um, I, I think it would be pretty audacious to call this a win for Florida State, even at home. Um, if they do win this game, I, I think we can look at the season as being potentially a huge jump in the right direction. But I don't expect it. You know, if you have to look right now on September 5th, uh, against Notre Dame in prime time, uh, you'd have to say Notre Dame's going to be a pretty solid favorite, and and I will pick Notre Dame to win that one. Okay, I mean, I do think in in this game, you know, last year, 
Florida State gave, gave Notre Dame a pretty a pretty good game, and and I think the gap is, is smaller this year, um, you know, than it was last year, where Florida State last year went up to South Bend and, and played a pretty competitive game for for about three quarters. So I, I think Florida State, I, I don't expect them to win either, but I, I think they've they've got a puncher's chance in this one. Yeah, which is something that that you look at as a positive that you can even say that. Yeah. All right. Um, following that game, you host uh, the Jacksonville State Gamecocks. Yeah, and Jacksonville State's an FCS team, obviously, but they're a good one. Um, they led Florida State at halftime last year, uh, which you know isn't probably a great surprise. Florida State had ended up winning by double digits, but um, Jacksonville State gave them all they could handle until the you know the usual FCS. F- BS uh, divide where, um, you know, because of the additional scholarships and the depth, uh, you know, those FCS uh, schools usually can't hang with a good, uh, solid FBS program for four quarters. And that's what happened to Jacksonville State. But um, for a half, at least, they were every good as bit or every bit as good, if not better than Florida State was. Um, This year, I'm hoping that what we'll see is Florida State come out of the gates and just uh, roll Jacksonville State. And, uh, you know, they're going to win regardless. I don't think there's any question of that. Uh, but you hope that it's a decisive win this year versus a lackluster win that they had last year. All right. Um, you know, as we get into the next three games here, I think there's an opportunity for Florida State to, to um, go on a little bit of a run and build some momentum before they get to North Carolina. So let's look at these uh, the first of these three games in a row. Uh, you go on the road, you play at Wake Forest. Yeah, and Wake Forest is a team that's been, obviously, um, they haven't been what they could be over the past few years. Uh, they just really haven't had any talent. And, um, you know, it's it's not the Jim Grobe years anymore, obviously. Uh, and Florida State, even up in North, Wake Forest, uh, up in Winston-Salem, should win that one pretty handily. Um, again, I'm optimistic about this. I think Florida State's going to be improved. And if they are an improved team, uh, this should be a pretty easy win for them. All right, then you come back and, and host a, a Louisville team that's also looking to rebound from a, a struggled 2020 season. Yeah, and Louisville's a program that, honestly, after the first year Soderfield was there, I had thought, just based on that year, that they might be building kind of a monster program, but really looked pretty poor last year. And I'm not sure exactly what to expect from them. I'm not sure if that's a situation where it was just a weird year for them because of the virus and, you know, things never got on the right track, or if that's an indication that they just really don't have uh, any sort of talent up there, to be frank. Um, And if it's the latter, uh, Florida State, I think, should win easily at home. And I do think it's the latter, uh, but maybe Louisville will surprise us and get things back together like it looked like they were uh, doing in season one of the Satterfield um, era. All right. Uh, then you come back and you host a, a really struggling uh, team from 2020, the Syracuse Orange. Yeah, and that's another one where, you know, you looked at Dino Babers and what he was building there, and it looked like this was a program headed in the right direction. You thought Syracuse was a team that might be able to, you know, make a bowl game every year while he was there, uh, be a solid eight and four, nine and three type of program. Um, 
year in and year out, and you know they they just fallen off the map, and I'm not sure what the problem is up there. Uh, you know, obviously Syracuse is a tough place to recruit to. It's a tough place to win. Uh, under the best of circumstances, but uh, early in his tenure, Babers looked like he would be able to just do that or do just that. They, you know, they beat uh, Clemson that one year. That Clemson, uh, I believe, that Clemson won the national championship the year that Syracuse beat him. If not, they made it to the final game, um, and you know, was really putting together some solid. Uh, momentum and that's just fallen off and so uh home game this year uh florida state should win that one handily and so i'm already um picking florida state at this point to be uh, what's that four and one right now assuming that they lose to notre dame um, but then win the next four all right uh then after syracuse you go on the play uh, on the road to play uh at north carolina which is the team florida state defeated last year in you know, probably, you know, the, well, I don't think it was probably the biggest win of Florida State season last year. Yeah, easily, and also kind of a fluky type of win. You know, they, uh, as I recall, they ran out to a big lead and then um, managed to hold on to it. It was the first quarter that just Florida State went nuts and uh, built a big lead and was able to hang on. I think just based on what I saw from both teams, it's one of those kind of games where if they play 10 times, North Carolina probably wins nine of them, uh, but Florida state won that one and hats off to them for doing so. Um, and North Carolina again is, you know, Mac Brown's still chugging along. They've still got Sam Howell, who, as you may recall, was originally a Florida state commit, but they, they lost him and he ended up going to North Carolina. Um, and, uh, you know, UNC is going to be a tough game, and it's in Chapel Hill. Um, I, I'm hesitant to pick North Carolina to win, honestly. Florida State won last year, and I think Florida State's um, trajectory is moving in a better direction. I'm not sure about North Carolina's. I, I kind of have a feeling that North Carolina has peaked under Mac Brown and is going to start falling off. And, and you know, I, I can't say that with any sort of certainty or, um, you know, with, with necessarily great insider's knowledge of that program. I may be way off on that. It's just kind of a gut feeling I have. So I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say Florida State beats North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Oh, wow, big ups, big upset um, in Chapel Hill. That, that gets uh, Chapel Hill, that sends uh, Florida State into their bye week and a chance to really get the season rolling. Could you come back and you host UMass? Yeah, uh, Florida State, that should probably be the easiest game of the year. Um, UMass probably isn't even as good as uh, Jacksonville State, an FCS program, um, and so Florida State wins easily. That's a bye game, a body bag game. All right, so you've got Florida State right now 5-1. and one. Uh, They're probably ranked at, in, in the top 20 for sure at this point on the road, uh, to play at Clemson. And, you know, this is where things uh, start to fall back to earth for Florida State a little bit because they've got a tough, tough last month of the season. And so, you know, if they are indeed 5-1, and one, and obviously 4-2 and two is a decent possibility, um, you know, losing to North Carolina on the road as well. Um, but if they are 5-1, and one, they're going to be ranked, like you said, and then people are going to look at the end of the season and say, man, what happened to Florida State? Well, what happened is the schedule. You run into Clemson. 
And Clemson is a team that obviously is uh, just chugging along, making the playoff every single year, rarely losing, rarely getting challenged. And, you know, they're obviously not going to have Trevor Lawrence this year, uh, but they've got DJ, another five-star recruit, a quarterback. They've got five stars all over the field. Um, and, and even if they, the way they ended their season last year was disappointing, getting cl- uh, blown out by Ohio State, uh, they're still obviously the class of the ACC and should beat Florida State um, up in Clemson with no problem. All right. And like you said, this, this finishing stretch for uh, Florida State could be five straight ranked teams. Uh, I think there's a very real possibility of that. Um, after you play at Clemson, you host – uh, an NFC State team uh, that that could be you know quite good themselves. Yeah, I think they will be. And for NC State's one of those programs that's really seems to be up down up down year to year. Um, you know, never really seems to have any consistency one way or the other. Um, but you know, they always bring in a handful of really talented players. Um, and you know, I, I I'm not a detractor of uh, Dave Doreen. You know, I think that's a good solid program up there uh it's at home for florida state which is one of the things that makes you look and think twice and think you know maybe florida state can pull that off and i'm gonna call the win here for florida state um i I think florida state does pull it off i think it'll be close it'll be tight um but and if they're gonna have a successful season this is one of those games you have to win because you're not going to beat Clemson. You're probably not beating Notre Dame. Um, you know, there's a couple other losses on the schedule. Uh, so, you know, if you want to have a season that's respectable, this is probably the pivotal game on the calendar for them. All right. Uh, then you come back and you're hosting, you know, your arch rival, or one of your two out of three biggest arch rivals, Miami, on November Yeah, 3rd. and and Miami's obviously a, a team that right now – probably has more talent than Florida State and has it together a little more. Um, I I think in the next couple of years, that's going to flip-flop. I think Florida State's going to uh, jump ahead of Miami uh, by 2023 or so. Um, But right now, Miami's the better program and probably comes into Tallahassee and uh, wins that game. All right, then you go on a road. You go on the road. You play at Boston College, and then this is the team Matthew and I are actually pretty high on. Uh, Matthew was the first pointed out to me, you know, how good they were on the offensive line. I'm like, oh my goodness, they are they're great on the offensive line. Yeah. Uh, Zay Flowers at wide receiver, Jakovic at quarterback. They, they got some weapons on offense. They, sure do. they do, and this is this is one of those tricky games for Florida State because uh, number one, it's on the road. Uh, number two. I think Boston College has a really good team this year. And um, this is probably a game I think that Florida State loses. And um, they really probably need to win it, and I hope they do, obviously. Uh, But like you said, they've got a lot more talent than you would think. And and, uh, I'm honestly not sure who they have at running back this year, but they always seem to have a top-tier running back no matter – you know, no matter the year. And I'm sure they've got somebody waiting in the wings uh, to take over from the loss of, uh, oh, shoot, the name escapes me, but, you know, they had an all-world running back there. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I think Florida State probably loses that game. All right. And, Matthew, did you have a – you had a thought at the beginning of of talking about Boston College? 
I just kind of wanted to – sorry about that. I just kind of wanted to echo John's thoughts. I think that with that offensive line, um, I, I think that whoever they have in there, regardless of X or – it could be X or Y, I think that person's going to have a thousand-yard season because it's rare, John. John I mean, Je- Jeff and I had like – I actually put four players from BC's offensive line on the first team. I think it eventually got downgraded to three, but by Matt, but you know, because that was probably being a little bit, but I could, but I could justify it. You know what I mean? Because they, these guys are like 23 and 24. I mean, I feel like they're 23 and 24 years old. Like they have been there. You've heard about those football and basketball players that have been at their institutions forever. I mean, some of those are kind of like at Florida state for men's basketball right now. Right. And, it feels that way with 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 this Boston College offense. So anyway, that's all I have to say. Thanks. Yeah, and I mean it wasn't a, a stretch at all when we when, when you had the four, because Athlon when they put out their all, all ACC teams, they had two on the first team, two on the second team, and you know when I looked across the ACC, I had three of the top five offensive linemen in the conference coming out of Boston College and. And it would have, you know, you could have made an argument for adding the fourth one to the top five. I mean, it, it, they're that good on the offensive line. I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's a legitimate group, and that offense is going to be a load, and it's going to cause real problems in the conference. Yeah, and Florida State, I don't think, really has the defensive tackles right now to disrupt that offensive line. And so, um, you know, I expect whoever emerges as the top running back for that team uh, to probably have a pretty big day. Um, And if he does, it's probably going to be a pretty long day for Florida State. All right. Um, Then you go on the road and you play, um, you know, the other one of your, your big, big rivals, you know, at Florida, Dan Mullins. You know, he's been he's been pretty good. Um, but you wonder if he's getting the talent into Florida that you would really expect. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's fallen behind recruiting against Georgia. I, I think he, may, he makes up for it on the X's and O's, but I'm not sure that, that Florida is getting the talent they need to, to really compete with the Alabamas and over the long haul, the, the Georgias uh, in the SEC. Yeah, and obviously Florida's right now more talented than Florida State. You know, there's no sugarcoating that. Um, Long term, you know, within the next couple of years, I'm actually pretty optimistic for Florida State's uh, chances. I think Florida State has really, Mike Norvell has really done a good job of getting making inroads into uh, Florida high schools for recruiting. Um, he's done some really innovative stuff with camps and, uh, you know, just uh, kind of exploiting the uh, – you know, recruiting dead zone we've had in Florida for the past few years, because um, Mullins isn't really known as a good recruiter, and and I, I think that's probably bear not, or borne out on the field. Um, you know, no question. Like I said, they're get, they've got talent, um, but they don't have Trask anymore, and I think he really masked a lot of the weaknesses they had um, in on the rest of the field. Um, the defense isn't elite. You know, it's good. It's better than Florida State's. I'm not knocking it. But, you know, if, if Florida State can really um, work on this recruiting momentum that they have, I think you're going to find over the next year or two that Mike Norvell out-recruits um, Dan Mullen and Florida State pulls ahead of Florida in the talent gap uh, at some point, maybe around 2023, 2024. Um, but this year – in Gainesville, 
I don't see much hope of a win. If Florida State beats Florida this year, uh, I think regardless of what else happens, you could look at this and say, you know, it's a really good year for Florida State football. All right, I'm going to turn it over to you now, Matthew. Okay, okay. So this is probably going to be a very short open microphone for me because I'm going to give the floor to John here. So, John, I'm going to use my microphone, my open microphone to ask you a question because I, 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 pretty know, I pretty much know what I think you're going to talk about tonight on this moment. My, my open I'm positive microphone. you do. Yeah, so I figure that what, what I'll do is I'll just um, I'll just ask about the uh, before but before sorry before we get into the open microphone I, I was jumping into that too I was jumping into that too fast because I wanted to talk about that so you know <laughs> got a little excited <laughs> before we get into that let's get into one last question about FSU football. Uh, I want to get your pulse on what you think of the FSU football program right now, what the fans and bloggers are thinking on the status of the program right now, you know, because it's been a short, kind of a short tenure, right, so far for Mike Norvell, and he was handed probably, a, a, a you know, really a big-time rebuilding situation, I think most people would agree with that. So. I want to get your thoughts on what, where you think that program's headed. What the, what the, what the, what the fans and fans and alumni and friends of the program think of Norvell and that sort of thing. Before we get into our awesome, awesome uh, open microphone topic. Yeah, so I've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I think the most of the Florida State fan base is optimistic for the first time in several years. I think there was some optimism um, before uh, Willie Taggart's tenure that he was going to be able to really do some good things here uh, from a lot of the fan base, but obviously that didn't pan out, uh, and it ended up being a disaster. Um, and, you know, Mike Norvell came into a really tough situation uh, with the cupboards bare, and he has put together a pretty solid recruiting class for this year, and a if it, if it holds together, a really good class for next year. Um, and so there's a lot of positivity right now. Um, and they've got a five-star committed next year for the first time, and I don't know when the last five-star uh, they even were on the radar for. And um, along with some really, really good, talented uh, four-stars all over the field. Um, and so the direction of the program – seems like it's headed up. And I'll just tell you one little story from you know my own perspective is I have a son who's in fifth grade and um, Mike Norvell, and this is the first time I've heard of anybody doing anything like this in Florida, uh, basically set up a tour of all of the big cities in the state where he and his staff went around and did youth football camps this summer. So just a few weeks ago, uh, my son went to the FSU football camp um, you know, he, he's, he's not talented. I'm, <laughs> this is something they basically set up for kids to come do something cool, you know, and it was a, it was an awesome opportunity. Uh, but the point is, you know, they, they brought in some players. They had some of the coaches from the team, Mike Norvell personally met and took pictures with every kid that signed up. Um, you know, so I, I met him with my son, got some pictures and, you know, that's the kind of thing that he's doing to uh, try to build himself up as a, you know, 
maybe the go-to program in the state of Florida. Um, Florida's not doing that. Miami's not doing that. And, you know, so some of these kids, so we went out in Melbourne. I, I didn't see any players that looked like, yeah, that's a future Florida State Seminole football player, you know. Uh, uh, but the point is these kids are going out there and this is their, maybe their first impression of Florida state football and they got to meet the head coach. And so that kind of thing may pay dividends down the line. And then they also had a super camp where they brought in, you know, a bunch of other uh, coaches from division one programs, you know, Akron's coach was there, uh, et cetera. And, uh, you know, so even guys that maybe aren't up to the Florida state caliber, could come into Florida State, do a camp, and then get an offer at a Division One school, uh, you know. And so, uh, that's not. No, he's obviously didn't invent that idea. Um, but again, this is something that I don't think that Jimbo ever did, or, or Willie ever did, you know. So, um, just doing some new things to to really bring Florida State to the forefront for recruiting, um, and hopefully, it pays off down the line. That's a big deal that I thought you mentioned, John, because that basically means to me like they're trying to make FSU football look like a, a family to the high schools and it's kind of outreach and that's out, effective outreach and that sort of thing. So I think that's a, I think that's pretty, I think that's pretty cool. That's one of the things that Dabo does really well. So if Florida state to start yeah. doing well, really well with that, then you, and, know, you have, and when he came here to, to, uh, the Melbourne area, it was in Vieira, actually, he brought on uh, Jashan Corbin, who is from Rockledge, which is the next town up uh, to the north. So, you know, bringing in a local kid who's from that area uh, to talk to the campers and basically say, hey, you know, you can get to Florida State from here, um, you know, and so, and he's a running back. He's going to wear number zero. You'll see him. He'll probably be the, the top running back on the depth chart come fall, um, transferred from Texas A&M. Um, so again, you know, Florida State's really using that transfer portal to their advantage and um, bringing in some guys. But ultimately, if you really want to be successful, you're not going to be successful long term in the transfer portal. Right now, you're filling gaps in talent that Florida State just doesn't have. Um, long term, you want to get those four and five star recruits out of high school, and that's hopefully what they're setting up to be able to do. Definitely, definitely. Okay, John. I I was so excited to get to this last topic, I almost forgot it. I almost, I almost jumped ahead of the current topic. So I'm going to use this, this uh, open, I'm going to be very limited on my open microphone time, and I'm going to use the question to ask you an open, open microphone topic because I think it's the one that you want to talk about. So, John, what do you think about the proposed 12-team football uh, playoff? I, I want to hear your thoughts here. <laughs> What a disaster. I mean, you know, you guys know where I stand on this because we've been all been friends for a long time and talked about this uh, over the years. And, um, you know, one of my problems with the 14 playoff was not that I hated the 14 playoff for itself, because I think you can make an argument that sometimes the number three team deserves a shot at it maybe even the number four team, uh, you know, especially when you have three undefeated major conference teams. Um, you know, the BCS wasn't really adequate to deal with that. And so, uh, you know, if, if you argued to, for the 14 playoff and told me it'll stay at four forever, I would have still grumbled. I still don't like it, but I could have lived with it. But as you guys know, 
Playoffs always expand. It's been my mantra forever, and it was always inevitable. And now we've got, apparently, this 12-team monstrosity that is just absolutely ridiculous. Because can you tell me a single team ever that was ranked five or below that had a decent argument that they should be national champions ever. Like, like, why are we doing this? <laughs> and I guess the answer is, well, you need to give the little guys a shot. Well, I mean, why, you know, we all know the final four teams are going to be the same four teams that we have now. It's still going to be the Ohio States, the Clemsons, the Alabamas, and, you know, the, the committee kind of alluded to that because when they were asked about, well, what if these teams that play the first round games that don't have the bye make it to the championship game? That'll be a 17-game season. And they basically said, well, we don't ever expect that to happen. Okay, so then why are we doing it? Why are we having this... 12-team monstrosity uh, to narrow the teams down to what we're going to end up with, which is the top four teams that are, that are in it every year anyways. It, it just doesn't make any sense. It cheapens and devalues the regular season. I know people will point to, well, now more teams are going to have a shot to get in, so they're gonna, you know, you're going to have more fan bases that are engaged late in the season because this teams with two and three losses – you know, are still going to have a shot to make it. But how is that a good thing? Why do we want teams that have two or three losses playing for the national championship? One of the things that always made Florida or uh, college football special was that unlike pretty much every other sport, the national champion was all, almost always a team that you would look at and say, yeah, that was probably the best team over the course of the season. And you just don't get that in other sports. And Part of that is because, you know, the playoff system obviously necessarily invites occasional upsets, but what, what possible universe would we ever say that a team that finishes number nine or number 12 should be or deserves to be a national champion? It's ridiculous. And they're further eroding, you know, the, the, what made college football special, which is the importance of the regular season. Now you're going to have all sorts of teams that didn't win their conference making the playoff field. And again, a lot of people look at that and say, well, that's a good thing because it keeps, you know, their fan bases engaged and all that. Well, I mean, why, if you can't win your conference, why should you win the national championship? It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. If you want to win the national championship, win your conference first. So I, I don't know. I don't have, see any positives out of this. Um, I, I think it's, you know, people that are looking at this and saying, well, college football's waned in popularity over the past few years and we need to revive it. Like these are actual quotes that people, you know, big time media people and or um, people in positions of power in the college football universe have said, and they're not making this connection that perhaps some of the decline in interest is because of the playoff they instituted a few years ago, because that's completely sucked the life out of everything that made college football awesome, which was the regular season, the bowl games, the fact that you didn't have to be a national champion to be have a successful season and to go to the Rose Bowl or the Orange Bowl and uh, you know college football is never about 
uh, well, let's just look at who's the national championship. It was a holistic sport that everybody could enjoy. And, you know, six and five, seven and four teams could still say, hey, you know, we had a good season and we got to go to a bowl game. Now nobody even cares about the Bulls anymore. And it was an entirely foreseeable result of the playoff. And now we're just going to make it worse. And I realize that some people are going to say, well, the Bulls suck anyways. Well, the Bulls don't suck anyways. And if you don't like them, you don't have to watch them. But, you know, for a lot of people and a lot of fans, the Bulls were an awesome thing. And I've been to my share of them. I always have a good time. Uh, you know, and it's just we're completely devaluing the sport with this. And I, I think my rant's probably gone on long enough, but I, I could go on like this for an hour. <laughs> but, you know, I, I want to hear your guys' thoughts because I, I think we're all kind of on a similar wavelength as far as this, even if we're all in the minority among the larger fan base of the, of the sport. So curious what you guys think. I agree with you. I agree with you, John. I think uh, I just, I know you and I have had a conversation about this before on Twitter. I, I, if you change, if you're expanding the playoffs, they're also doing it because they're probably getting more cash. My, my guess is that a major driver for that. And so I don't know how they came at 12. If they're doing that, that's a different, that's a different, different question. But that is, you know, that, that to me that if you, everybody has their price, right? And so if you're doing something like that, it's because you're, you're, get, you're getting some more cash. But I, I, can't see, I, I can't see too many positives to it. I do agree with that. pretty much everything that you say, that eventually that number is going to get better and it, or it get higher, perhaps only get bigger, and the number is going to get higher. And that's what happens when you have playoffs. And so I, I pretty much agree with everything that you have to say, I'm just hoping that they give NDSU a shot at that 12th spot. (laughs) Right? I mean, anyway, Jeff, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I I think it's unfortunate, but, you know, the ship has sailed on on going back to the format that I would have preferred of just going back to the old bold process uh, you know, from 15, 20 years ago, I, mean, I think even before the Power, um, what was it, the Power Alliance, I think was the in the late Alliance. 90s. The Bowl Alliance, <laughs> that's right, thank you. And, you know, just go back to the old bowl agreements, but then have a plus one um, and play one versus two. And we're not ever going to go uh, back to that, unfortunately. So I've, I've just now come to uh, – not just the realization. I've just come to accept that we're probably going to, you know, we're going to see three lost teams uh, in the playoffs, uh, that there's going to be, you know, conferences, probably the SEC that are going to have, you know, four teams in the, in the playoffs or who knows, they, they could even have five. I, I, you know, I think there have been college football playoffs that have, that have had five teams from the SEC ranked in the top 12 or 14 and, you know, I, it's just it's just you come to accept that that's just going to be the future, and and but I do have some you know interest, in, and I think some things could be at least more interesting about it to see a wider variety of teams. But I mean, I definitely see John's point. He's he's been against the playoffs and expanding the whole time, and I I really wish we had never gotten to that point. 
I mean, I wish it was a plus one um, for myself, but um, it, it, is, it is what it is at this point. And for me, I'm, I'm still more in favor of it than, than the just four, because at least you will see group of five teams in there. Um, you'll see a wider variety of, of teams in there, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. But there's definite understanding that hey, you're gonna you're gonna get a probably a nine and three type team. You might even have an eight and four team get into the playoff. So um, it, it's kind of it, it is what it is, and it's all about money, okay. like you said, Matthew. <laughs> oh, no, it is. You know it is. Okay, Jeff. I know that I I know you want to talk about baseball. I'll serve it up for you. Uh, I'll serve it up for you. Uh, NC State had a big win tonight. Oh yeah, that, you know, that was that, that was amazing. Was, I never thought that would happen after Friday night. Yeah, Friday night, NC State loses twenty-one to two to the team many consider the best team in college baseball, Arkansas, and, and you know they put out their best uh, arm today. Uh, the the cops kid who is is an absolute major league prospect, and for the for NC State to come through and win two games down in Fayetteville by one run um, to get to the College World Series. That that was pretty epic. It's one of the, you know, biggest super regional upsets in, in recent memory and, and, and really hats off for the Wolfpack and their fans um on 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 winning that series when it looked like they had no chance after that opening game. It's like, oh, they've got to beat Arkansas in Fayetteville twice uh, in back to back games. I don't think Arkansas has lost a series the entire year until this weekend. So that was pretty pretty big for them. Um, Virginia won today over a Dallas Baptist to even that series one and one. And then Notre Dame, who has, has pretty much largely outplayed Mississippi State in their series, uh, won uh, either eight to one or nine to one today, if not for a slew of errors and, um, you know, a bad, I think it was either the fifth or the sixth inning where they, they gave up five or six runs yesterday, you know, probably would have already come out of Starkville and, and be headed to Omaha. But they play. They both play tomorrow. So, you know, the ACC, you know, potentially could have three teams out of eight in the College World Series after tomorrow. And this was after they got killed in, by the RPI and and a lot of the seeding rankings. Um, you know, from the committee had no top eight national seed, uh, had only one regional seed. Notre Dame uh, got snubbed. Pittsburgh was was really uh, that, snubbed that by the egregious. committee. Yeah, that was unbelievable that they were not in the field. So opportunity for the ACC to, to really kind of show out um, after tomorrow and then tonight with NC State. That that was huge, really incredible win and series win for that for that program in Elliott A event. I, I, I feel terrible for Pittsburgh because they should have been able to, uh, you know, get in the playoffs and have a shot at it uh, and. and I can't begin to imagine what numbers the committee was looking at to choose Alabama over them. It's just an absolutely egregious snub. And, you know, I don't understand what they were looking at. And it's, you know, I don't want to keep going on and on about this, but it's, if you, and this is another issue that I have with the playoffs. Why are these awful committees that never get anything right and everybody complains about it every year, and now we're giving them even more power. <laughs> yes. Good point. Good point, John. 
one more open microphone question, and this is going to be my open microphone, but I'm going to use it to ask a, a question to John because John and I are both hockey fans. Barry Trot, John. I'm angry <laughs> that the Caps got rid of him. <laughs> I'm angry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't I'm know. Pissed. I, I don't know the business side of hockey all that well. I enjoy watching it, but the, you know, the business side, the general manager side, I, I don't know if there's cap, salary cap issues or money issues no. involved. I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how the whole system works because I don't understand why they would have either. You, you tell me. It's, so, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, the Caps have collapsed so many times in the first round when they were the first seed in the playoffs. They have lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins so many times I've lost count. And then they get rid of the only coach that's won a Stanley Cup for them. <laughs> and I, I, I will never get it. I, I don't get it. And what's he doing in New York? They just, yep, he, I, he's about to take the Islanders to win another one. Yeah. I mean, and Brock Nelson playing the best hockey of his career. University of North Dakota alum, Brock Nelson, yeah. is playing, he's playing really good hockey right now. Yeah, and, and I know a lot of people are high on the Avs, but really the Isles have got to be the team that you're watching, right? He's just doing a masterful. He's pushing all of the right buttons at the right time. I mean, it's almost like I'm watching – I mean, it's really almost like I'm watching a redo of the cap season. But like, guys, he's pushing everybody's buttons at the right time. Yeah, and you know, obviously, as of as of <laughs> our uh, time today, they've already vanquished Tampa Bay to go up one um, zero. And um, you know, I, like I said, I think that's got to be the favorite to win the Stanley Cup at this point. Yes, indeed, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Well, John, thank you so much for coming on the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. We loved having you come on the show, talking about Florida State with us, Florida State with us, and everything, everything else in the college football world. And we even got a little NHL in there in college baseball as well. And we'd love to have you come on the show again sometime. Hey, real quick, since we didn't get to talk about it, if we have a minute or two, did you watch the Frozen Four at all? I know. I know you used to go all the time and haven't been over the past couple of years, but man, where did UMass come from over the past few years? Like you know, when did that they, become the biggest power in college hockey? Man, I mean, last year you could tell that, that they were getting better and their recruiting is just, has been getting better. And I think it's probably at the expense of Boston college who hasn't recruited as well and hasn't had as many players in the NHL. And they just they just have done they just have done done really well. I mean, yeah, you know I I know you watched the Frozen Four this year. I know you watched the Frozen Four this year, and I mean I know like North I expected North Dakota to get there this year, and they just ended up playing you know a team that had won the title before, and they lost in a five overtime game. And you know I you know I I suspect you had a little tired some tired legs from D- Duluth. <laughs> And you know what I mean, right? I mean, a little bit. Yeah. When you play a five-overtime game, you're probably going to be a little tired going into the Frozen Four. And you know, it's it you know, it's just it's like it's you know, like we had Will Ogenen on here, John, and <laughs> it's just it's the most Minnesota thing ever to happen. 
it just happened in college yeah. sports where you three the three, teams three Minnesota teams, teams in the Frozen Four right. and one of none of them win it. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, it must be the sort of thing ever, and it, and it ha- and it happened. You know, but you know, say la vie. But I mean, that's you know, it always seems like you have a different team coming out of the East, right? Because Quinnipiac was in the Frozen Four one year. You know, I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that you know that I, I guess that, you know when Boston College, Boston College didn't have as have as many pro players the last couple of years. That's when you saw the rise of another of, of another team, and I think the same thing happened with North Dakota. You know, those couple of years that they were out, right? You know, it. I mean, as you guys well know, I mean, I think it, don't think it really matters depending on the sport when you have the top notch players on your team that are pro material. You know, that's college basketball, college football, college hockey, college baseball, whatever. You're probably going to do well come, you know, come playoff time, right? And that's what I think has happened the last couple – that's what I think has happened the last couple of years. So, you know, say la vie, you know, say la vie, you're probably going to see – I think you're going to see some of the same powers come back next year in college hockey. So, but it was – yeah, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you asked about – I'm glad you asked about that. <laughs> glad you asked about that. I'm missing – now that you're bringing it up, I'm missing. I'm missing it, but I'm, at least we have a, a few more weeks of the NHL before we get into this real dead zone. Yeah, I I just really enjoyed the the Frozen Four this year. I don't know why, because you know I don't have any particular interest in any of those teams. Um, but you know, obviously the the five overtime game, even though it went the wrong way for us, um, you know, is still one of those thrilling kind of things that you only ever get in hockey. Uh, you know, and um, and yes. it's just so much fun, and and I uh, I'm looking forward to next season already. And honestly, one of the unique things about college hockey, as opposed to any other of the major college sports, is that you do have just these bizarre teams that pop up and are national powers that you would have never even thought of a couple of years earlier. And I'm not sure why that's unique to college hockey. Um, you know, I mean, when I was younger, RPI was one of the big teams, you know, and now you don't hear from them anymore. And there's, um, you know, Union and just all these weird programs that, uh, you know, occasionally pop up and, you know, have frozen four caliber teams. And the big boys, you know, you had three Minnesota teams go to the final frozen four, and one of them wasn't Minnesota. Right. You know what? what? And I can answer your question about that. You know why that happens, right? Because that is their football program, basically, right? That's what they put their cash in. You know, I mean, Duluth is the best, probably the best example of that, right? They don't have any other Division I sports, but it's hockey. And Scott Sandlin came there from North Dakota, right? So from the University of North Dakota. You know, and so you've got, you know, that's just the situation. That's what rules the. Rules the day. Rules the day in a lot of those towns. Colorado College is another one, right? That, I mean, they're mm-hmm. Division three in pretty much every other sport, but college hockey. Yeah. You know, so. Well, yeah, and I grew up in Colorado Springs, as you may recall. So, you know, I always watched yes. Col- uh, Colorado College hockey uh, growing up, and you know, that's where we get our shared hatred for DU. Um, right. <laughs> so. <laughs> Definitely, and you know, you know what? I'll say that here on it. On our closing though, man, I mean that the Tampa got the bid again. Did you see that for the Frozen Four? No, I don't know how I missed that news. That's yeah, awesome Tampa though. Got a, Tampa got a Tampa. I I, I can't remember. I'll, I probably will let you know after this podcast. I can't remember which year, 
but it's coming back to Tampa. They must have they must have put in a really good bid, you know, because they got awesome. the last time the last time it was there. Because I went one year when it was there. Uh, there were a lot of travelers that went down south, you know, and it's just you see a lot of people from the northern states that want to go to a warm weather climate, right? You know, for the frozen four, and they were just great hosts, you know, and it was yeah. great, you know, it was easy, easy to get in and out of that arena. You know, and I would definitely go back. Yeah, well, I may have to try to go. Um, what year is that? Twenty four. You know what? I don't know. I'll have to take a look at it when we get. I have to take a look at it when we get off here, and I'll, I'll let you know when we get off. But I can't. Yeah, but it's 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 coming up. It's coming up. It probably it probably it probably is the year after next. Yeah, so that'll be a lot of fun if that. Uh, you know, whatever year that is. So. Um, you know, I'd love to try to look into getting tickets. I've never been to one before. I know you've been to quite a few, so. Oh, you'd love. You know, and you always have, you always have great things to say about it. Oh, they're just yeah. It's been, you know, and the greatest the greatest thing that happens is when you get you know when you get a when you get to watch a hot goal hitter, right, or when you get to watch a hot mm-hmm. offense, or either either or, right, because that's when you can see the little guy that have it. If the little guy has a hot goaltender. It's the greatest equalizer against the greatest talents in the world, you know. Well, and, and one of the things that made that UMass run so amazing is, as I recall, they were playing with their backup goaltender uh, in the finals. Yeah. So and he got hot. you know, right? <laughs> so yeah, and yeah, it's a really fun event though. And I did want to bring it up, even though I had my playoff rant, and even though the season's over, uh, just because I did watch so much of it, and I, I assume that you did as well. Oh, you got it, man! I enjoyed it just as much, just just as much like I'm watching watching hockey now, John. You know I'm watching it. <laughs> oh, of course you are. <laughs> watching it, you know I'm watching it more than probably more than more than more than more than many. So, well, John, thanks again, man. I mean, we loved having you come on the show, and we want you to have we want you to come on again anytime. Hey, I always appreciate you asking me to come on. Um, uh, it's always a lot of fun, and um, and you know I appreciate you guys and what you do. All right, thanks so much. Have a great week, guys. All right, bye, bye guys. Take care.